I would like to welcome you to the workshop series titled Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom has helped thousands of people learn and apply God's financial principles. Tom is the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries, and his financial moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. Now, here's Tom teaching Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom. I would like to welcome you to the series titled Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom. This is a third of three sessions that are intended to help you obtain godly counsel and wisdom before you make any major financial decision. If you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to watch um, sessions one and two on this series. In session one, I basically taught the biblical principles with respect to obtaining godly counsel and wisdom. And in session two, I provided some real life case studies. And in this session, I'm going to provide some more real life case studies and provide some uh, direction with respect to discerning exactly what God wants you to do. So here's the first case study. As usual, the names have been selected at, um, at random. Laura is a single woman who earns an average income. Laura's parents died a couple of years ago, and as a result, Laura inherited a considerable amount of money from her parents' estate, which enabled her to purchase a home with no debt. Not too long after, Sam, a member of her church, recommended to Laura that she buy some mutual funds. Laura responded with a no, explaining that she did not have any money and as all of the inheritance was used to purchase her home, and she is now happily debt-free. Sam confidentially explained that he was a professional investment advisor and that she should borrow against the equity in her home and purchase mutual funds from his company. Sam said that this was a great strategy as the interest would be tax-deductible and she would be able to get the equity in her home working for her and she could make lots of money. Sam advised Laura that she would not need to invest any of her own personal cash, rather she could borrow all the money from the bank which would register a charge on her home as the collateral for the loan. Laura wasn't sure what to do, however she remembered from a biblical financial study that God's word recommends that Christians obtain biblical counsel from more than one source. As a result, she met with another investment advisor named Tim who had a reputation of understanding God's word on finances. Tim strongly advised Laura not to follow Sam's strategy. Tim showed Laura several scriptures which indicate that God discourages borrowing. Tim also demonstrated, based upon several scriptures as well as historical results, that no human being knows the future value of any particular investment. With debt, if the investment does well, additional returns can be made. However, if the investment decreases significantly in value, the results can be disastrous. Further, Tim read Deuteronomy chapter 28 where God promised the people of Israel that if they fully obeyed him, God would bless them so much that they would be lenders and not borrowers. In other words, God can bless Laura's investments without the use of debt. As a result, Tim recommended that Laura develop a budget to determine how much she could afford to invest each month. Tim recommended that her monthly surplus should be invested in a portfolio that is biblically diversified and if she faithfully invested a fixed amount per month over a long period of time, she would very likely accumulate a significant retirement fund with a minimal amount of investment risk. So here's the question. In the first part of this study, I defined a godly financial advisor as follows. Godly financial advisor is a spiritually mature Christian who understands and applies God's financial principles, has a close personal relationship with the Lord, has the necessary practical financial knowledge, 
and habitually puts the interests of clients first. So I'd like you to review these five, five components of a definition of a godly financial advisor and let me know which ones do you think were met by Sam and which were met by Tim. So think about that for a few minutes. Here's my answer. It's likely that Tim meets all five characteristics of the godly financial advisor. Sam, on the other hand, probably meets none of them. His advice that he provided was not consistent with God's word. Therefore, one would conclude that Sam is probably not a spiritually mature Christian as he does not understand some basic financial principles related to investing. Secondly, Sam does not have a close relationship with God as it would appear that he doesn't because he's putting his own personal interests ahead of Laura's interest. In other words, he wants to get her to borrow money against the equity in the home so he can get a big fat commission on the mutual funds. He may have some practical financial knowledge but unfortunately, Sam is providing worldly advice that is predominantly to his own personal benefit. So here's the next question. Judging whether a financial advisor meets the requirements of a godly financial advisor may be difficult. How would you evaluate a financial advisor? What are some questions you could ask them that could possibly give you an indication whether or not they meet the definition of a godly financial advisor? Here's some suggestions that I have. Ask them to explain their strategies with real-life examples regarding investments. Obtain the track record of the advisor's recommendations over the past several years. Uh, check the references that they provide, but also check at least one reference that they don't provide. Uh, because often people will, of course, give references that uh, are their best references, right? Thirdly, ask the advisor to, if, if they recommend borrowing. We know that God discourages debt and warns of the dangers of debt. And generally speaking, uh, except for unusual circumstances, generally speaking, God does not want us to borrow to invest, especially to put, uh, to borrow against your home. There's, I mean, to borrow against your home and invest in mutual funds, which typically would be equity funds, you're actually putting your home at risk. And I, I, believe, I believe everyone should try to eventually try to buy and own their own home or condo or something. Uh, that provides stability for you and your family if, if you're married. And um, even if you're single, it still provides stability for you. You're not going to be asked by a landlord to move. So. It's, um, so ask them if, if when, when an advisor starts recommending borrowing against the equity in your home, that's a big red flag to me, that that advisor has limited knowledge of what the Bible says on finances. And often people are doing it. Um, the advisor, they're doing it so they can get more commissions faster. Um, and the individuals are often doing it just because they're getting selfish and greedy. They want to make lots of money really fast. And yes, if the market's going up, um, when you borrow to invest, if the market's going up, you can make more money, no question about it. But if the market goes into a bear market, um, it, can be, it can be disastrous. Also, inquire about their knowledge of God's financial principles. So ask them what the Bible says regarding a, anything about, about finances, specific topic. E, e, for example, does it, is it okay to borrow to invest um, in these mutual funds? So um, also ask God to reveal to you the hidden things um, that you need to know before you choose a, a financial or investment advisor. Jeremiah 33.3 says, God said, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And at all times throughout the process, pray and ask God to give you His wisdom and His direction as to what you should do. Here's my next question. In the long run, who do you think would do better on their investments, Sam's clients or Tim's clients? Who do you think would likely do better when people borrow against the equity in their home and invest a lump sum? or uh, those that uh, invest a little at a time over a long period of time. In other words, a certain amount each month. Who do you think would do better? My experience is Tim's clients would likely do better uh, with lot, a lot less volatility 
than Sam's. Tim's uh, would have the benefit of what's called dollar cost averaging. I mean, the market goes up, the market goes down. Nobody knows where the market's going to go from one month to the next. But if you put in a certain amount each month, um, you're, you're, you're going to get the advantage. You're going to buy low in some cases and a bit higher in other cases. You're going to get the dollar cost averaging benefit of entering the equity markets. Um, Sam's clients, when they borrow money against their home, they're going to actually assume greater risk than Tim's clients because of the use of debt. Remember, if you borrow 50000 against the equity in your home, invested in equities, if, if that drops down to 30000 you still got the $50,000 debt, and it's against your home, the place that you, you live in. Question four, what do you think, who do you think would earn the most commissions initially with regard to the two strategies proposed by Sam and Tim? This one I think is obvious. Sim would initially earn a lot more commissions than Tim from the lump sum investments that he wanted Laura to make by borrowing from the bank. Um, what does this likely reflect to you about the character of Sam and the character of Tim? What do you think it likely reflects? Um, here's what I think. I think it demonstrates Sam is selfish and he probably is greedy. Um, Tim is taking a biblical approach in investing and putting the interest of his clients first. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look at not only at your own interests, but also the interests of others. Um, in the long run, Tim and his clients will very likely do better than Sam's and his clients because Tim's are taking a biblical approach to financial planning. Proverbs 21.5 states, steady plotting brings prosperity, hasty speculation brings poverty. When people borrow to invest, especially in equities, they're actually... Um, that's almost a form of speculation because you're investing money that's not yours. So if it, if it goes into the doghouse and it goes way down, um, you can end up in a deficit and have lots of problems. Or you can end up in a case where you're forced to sell and you end up with a debt on your home that you didn't otherwise have before. Of interest, I, I've seen this over the last 44 years. I've seen hundreds of situations where people have borrowed money in order to increase their investment returns. Often either the results were disastrous or the volatility of the portfolio was so great that the individuals lost a lot of sleep at night and they got stressed out about their investments. Generally, people who invest a fixed amount of money each month over a long period of time, they ended up much better off financially than those who use debt with the objective of increasing returns. So this is no surprise because it's consistent with God's word. Think of Proverbs 13, 11, where it says, He who gathers money, literally he who saves money little by little makes it grow. And the scripture I mentioned earlier, Proverbs 21.5, steady plotting brings prosperity, hasty speculation brings poverty. And I won't go to details, it's another half-hour shows that I've given, but God discourages debt, warns of the dangers. And generally speaking, God wants you to invest a little at a time over a long period of time. You do that, it's, it's a much safer way to, to invest. I'd like to deal with the next case study, number four. It deals with a tax shelter investment. Again, the names have been chosen at, at, uh, at random. David and Joyce are married. Recently, a friend recommended a tax shelter investment that had saved him about $10,000 in income tax. David reviewed the proposals and thought it was a good idea. The tax shelter investment was unusual and involved some very complicated tax laws that David was not familiar with. The promoters had received an opinion from a tax lawyer. However, when David read the opinion, he did not understand it. Nevertheless, because his friend had received such a large income tax refund in the previous year, and because David hated paying taxes, I mean, I think we all do, but he hated paying taxes, really hated it. Uh, he was excited about this investment, and he wanted to be smarter than most in filing his tax return. David mentioned it to his wife, Joyce, over dinner, but Joyce, she reviewed the proposal, and she admitted she could not understand it. However, after praying about it, Joyce told David she did not have God's peace about investing in this tax shelter. 
She did not feel comfortable with it and suggested that David not get involved. David discounted his wife's advice, unfortunately, on the basis that she did not understand it. And as a result, David invested in the tax shelter anyhow. So here's the first question. Do you think David was wise in discounting his, his wife's comment after she prayed about it and she did not have peace about him investing in his tax shelter? Please explain your answer and support it with a reference to scripture. My answer is no. David was very unwise in discounting his wife's comments because Joyce did pray and ask for God's counsel, 1 Kings 22.5. David did not. He just was relying on the advice of the, uh, the salesperson and also his friend. He didn't even understand the investment. The only counsel David received, again, was the promoters, and they, they obviously have a prejudice to wanting to sell the investment, and his friend. And, and secondly, Scripture indicates that husband and wife are to be one flesh, Genesis 2.24, and therefore I believe they should be unified before making any important financial decision. They really should be unified because if they're not unified, and let's say this investment goes sour, the wife's going to be even more upset. Uh, let's say this tax shelter investment goes sour. She's going to be even more upset. And it's going to cause disharmony and, and, and stress between them as a couple. However, if she had agreed with it and it went sour, then at least they'd be on the same page. But I think on major financial decisions, husband and wives generally need to, most of the time, agree on them, especially when, um, if, you're, if, if the decision, certainly in this case, you'll see in a minute, it was violating many biblical financial principles, and David shouldn't have made it at all. Proverbs 19.2, which says, It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. And I think David could easily miss the way on an investment like this because he, he didn't understand it. He didn't, he didn't really understand it. He admitted that. So do you think God, through his Holy Spirit, was directing Joyce, but not David? And I think the answer is yes. That she probably, God probably was because she prayed. She asked God for wisdom and direction. David didn't do that. And God was not giving Joyce um, peace about it. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So here's a, the third question and an important one. Uh, what five, five things should David have done before he put his money into this tax-sheltered investment? Think about that and provide a reference to, to Scripture. So if you're looking at a complex investment that you don't understand, um, what, what things should you do, especially if it's, if it's a tax? These things are, are presented by investment advisors um, many, many times. So what, what, what should he have done? I think first, seek the counsel and wisdom of the Lord. That's what we talked about in session one. To God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his, Job 12, 13. Secondly, ask God to direct him according to God's specific will. Psalms 25, 4 and 5 states, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Number three, obtain counsel from God's word. That is, determine what God's word says about investing. If David had done this, he would not have purchased the investment. Um, I'm not going to go into details right now, but if you go to our website, copelandfinancialministries.org, there's three one-half-hour videos on the topic of uh, what the Bible says about investing. Obtain uh, number four, my fourth point, obtain counsel from a godly financial advisor who understands the investment. And also, he needed to obtain counsel from a tax accountant who was independent and who understands the income tax risks associated with the, the investment. Because if it sounds too good to be true, very often it is. And number five, take seriously the counsel from his wife as God through his Holy Spirit can speak to an objective spouse by providing them with peace or lack of peace regarding a proposed financial decision. 
even if the spouse does not understand it. God can still do that. Now, it's better to get into God's Word and study exactly what God's Word says on investing because there's a number of things that this, um, this, this investment was, was violating. And I can say this, over the past 44 years, I've seen thousands of cases where significant financial problems could have been avoided if the individual or couple had obtained godly counsel, as outlined in this session and the previous two sessions on this series. So before you make any important financial decision, as a minimum, you must first seek counsel from God himself, secondly, from God's word, and thirdly, from godly financial advisors. And certainly you should, uh, if you're married, seek counsel alone from your spouse as well. In addition, when seeking specific direction on a particular decision, there's no substitute for spending quality time with the Lord in prayer, studying his word, and purposely trying to sense God's direction. God has promised that he will direct us if, if we pray and ask him. Psalms 25, 12, who then is the man or woman who fears the Lord? God will instruct them in the way he's chosen for them. I can say this, your relationship with Christ, if you really want to discern what God wants you to do, your relationship with Christ is paramount in discerning exactly what God wants you to do. Isaiah 48, 17, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you in the way you should go. But in order to discern God's best, you need to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you really need to do that. If you learn the biblical principles and you follow them unequivocally, you'll be better off. I've seen non-believers do that and end up better off years later. But if you really want God's best, there's no substitute for having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you have a personal relationship with God? God's word directs you as follows. First of all, God loves you and God wants a personal relationship with you. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's John chapter 10. Secondly, sin has separated us from God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I know for myself, before I became a Christian, I thought, uh, I didn't think I was a sinner. I, I thought, you know, sinners are the real bad guys, the murderers, the thieves, that kind of stuff. I was a pretty good person. I didn't see myself as a thinner, as a sinner. But when I started studying the scriptures, I realized that that to God, he's holy and perfect. Anyone that's not holy and perfect is, is a sinner. And that's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short, from, short of the glory of God. So we can see diagrammatically here that sin has resulted in separation from God. Um, many people seek God the wrong way. Good works, religion, philosophy, morality. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And here the Bible's talking about spiritual death. That's separation from God for eternity. Um, so it's, it's pretty critical, this, this decision of getting to know God personally, not just for making financial decisions, but also it determines where you're going to spend eternity. For those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they'll spend eternity in heaven. They'll be forgiven for their sins. The scriptures are clear on that. For those who have not accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, they will not be forgiven for their sins. And I don't like to be mean, but they're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. It's described in Revelation chapter 20. So this is such an important decision. I encourage you to make if you haven't made it. I'd say this, many people seek God the wrong way. And you can see grammatically, it could be good works. I, I used to think if someone was good and they did good works, they could earn their way to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. It could be religion. Some people think if they go to church every week, that that in and of itself will earn their way to heaven. No, it won't. It's only putting your faith in Jesus Christ and believing he died on the cross for your sins. That's the only way to, to get to heaven. And nothing wrong with going to church regularly. Actually, I recommend you hook into a good Bible-believing church if you haven't. Attend it regularly. It can help you grow in your faith and your relationship with the Lord. And you can have some good fellowship with, with other Christians. 
Some people believe in philosophy. Some believe in morality. That was my thing. I believed that I was good enough to make it to heaven. I didn't think I was a sinner. I thought, I thought if you weighed the, the good against the bad, my good was better than my bad, and that, that I'd earn my, my way to heaven if, if it existed. At least that's the way I used to think prior to April 12th of 1981. That was the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. We may have all these ways of trying to earn our way to heaven, but God has provided the only solution, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Christ. And Romans 5, 8 is a great verse. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here it is diagrammatically. Man's on one side, sinful. God is on the other side, perfectly holy. And the cross, which represents the death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross uh, indicates how we can we can have a relationship with God and how we can ensure that uh, we're going to spend eternity with the God of the universe in heaven, which, which I'm sure everybody wants to do. So in order to do that, to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to determine and discern exactly what, what he wants you to do in managing money, and also to ensure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with the God of the universe, um, I'd encourage you to, to consider consider these four points. Um, this is so important. Are you willing to do the following? Admit that you sinned. That doesn't mean you're a terrible person. It just means that you're not holy and perfect like God. I mean, everybody has to admit that. Secondly, be willing to turn from your sins and obey God. Thirdly, believe that Jesus Christ died for you. That is, accept Christ as, as, your, as your Savior. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it's so critical. The scripture, this scripture is so powerful, so important. God loves us. He loves all of us. He, he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to spend eternity in heaven. But we cannot earn our way there. There's nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. But Jesus Christ paid the penalty on the cross. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. So that both of us, if we accept Christ as Savior, we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, you too can have eternal life and uh, spend eternity with the God of the universe. And in prayer, invite Christ to come in and control your life through the Holy Spirit. That is, accept Him as your Lord, not just as your Savior, but also as your Lord. Do things God's way. Manage money God's way. Manage your time God's way. Do things God's way. God's going to bless you, first of all, here on earth, but He'll bless you in eternity. Remember, our time here on earth is just a twinkling of an eye compared to eternity in heaven. Uh, we're only down here for 60, maybe 70, 80, 90, 100 years for some people. Heaven is eternity. It's, it's forever. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The idea of eating with God, that means to fellowship with him. That means to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. You can have that today if you're willing to commit yourself to the Lord, accept, believe, the, you know, acknowledge you've sinned, be willing to turn from your sins and obey God, accept Christ as your Savior, and then invite Christ to come in and control your life. Um, now, if you sense something tugging at your heart, something happening, that's not me. I'm just going through some scriptures here. That's not Tom Copeland. That's the Holy Spirit of God knocking at your heart saying, hey, open, my, open the door of your heart to allowing God in, allowing the Holy Spirit in to guide and direct you in the future, not only managing money, but making all, all decisions, really, and, and, and to bless you, to give you his peace that surpasses all understanding, and most importantly, to ensure that after you leave this earth, you're going to spend eternity in heaven with the God of the universe.
Here's what I'm going to suggest you pray. I'm going to read this first, and then I'm going to allow you to have a chance to pray. So I'm going to read it first so you have an understanding of what's coming, coming through. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I am willing to turn from my sins. I now invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart and life as my personal Savior. I am willing by God's strength to follow and obey Christ as the Lord of my life. Let's pray. And if you haven't, I'd encourage everyone, if you're, you're listening, to just, just bow your head. If you're, if you're driving or something, you can't bow your head. You've got to keep watching where you're going. But just, let's, just pray this prayer from your heart to the God of the universe. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I am willing to turn from my sins. I now invite Christ to come into my heart and life as my personal Savior. I am willing, I am willing by God's strength to follow and obey Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, here are some of God's promises. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, born not of natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if you've done that, you're a child of God and you have the privilege of enjoying a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And if you've accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, I would encourage you to send me an email, tcopeland at zing-net.ca or go to our website, Copeland Financial Ministries, send us an email. And I'm going to send you some, some helpful information. It would be encouraging to hear that you've made this kind of a decision. This completes um, the last three sessions on the topic of obtaining godly uh, counsel and wisdom. If you didn't catch the first two sessions, I'd encourage you to, to watch those or listen to them from our website, copelandfinancialministries.org. Uh, I think you'd find those very helpful and certainly on the investing side, uh, check that out as well. If you'd like to learn more about uh, biblical principles as it relates to um, other financial topics, such as God's wisdom on debt, how to get out of debt, budgeting, uh, how management of money impacts relationship with your spouse, investing God's way, biblically-based estate planning, stewardship, and several others, if you'd like to learn about these other financial topics, be sure to go to our website, uh, copelandfinancialministries.org. There's numerous resources there. Most of them are free. Uh, further, you can download a free copy of the Copeland Budgeting System. It's Excel-based. You can watch the videos on how to develop and implement a budget. Or you can join our Financial Moment email list. A Financial Moment's a one-minute summary of a biblical principle on finance. You can join that, and you'll get one of those every, every uh, couple of weeks. Um, and again, most of the resources are free. We're actually offering the CDs and the DVDs that I've done for free. So um, just go and access them on, on the website. And so I'm just going to close now in prayer. Father, I just pray that um, you'd move in the hearts and minds of everyone listening and just um, enable them, Lord, enable them to follow up and implement your biblical principles in managing money and encourage them, Lord, to obtain counsel uh, first from you, Father, before they make any major financial decisions, secondly, from your word, thirdly, from a godly financial advisor, and if they're married, of course, obtain counsel from their spouse. And Lord, for those, um, I just pray that everyone listening to this show, if they haven't accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, that they would do so either um, right now or, or today or in the very near future. There is no other decision that's more important to ensure that uh, we're forgiven for our sins and that we're going to spend eternity with you, Lord, after we leave this earth. Father, we ask these things. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
To learn more, check out copelandfinancialministries.org and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Bible Finance. Further, our Financial Moment podcasts are now streaming everywhere. Search for Copeland Financial Ministries on your favorite streaming platform.